Hi, and welcome to the 25th episode of the Design Exec Club Town Halls. Uh, a short six months ago, we um, all learnt the term COVID, and then we also had a certain amount of business interruption. Over those last six months, I've had over 200 people around the world, fantastic executives, sharing their strategies, their coping, their thriving, and also their survival techniques. Today, I've got another great panel of people where we're going to talk about the new possible that they've explored over the last six months and also the new possible that's going to take them forward and their clients forward in the next 12 months. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hello, Mike. Hey. Isn't the Zoom delay really fantastic? Let's try that again. Let's get some energy. Hello, everybody. Hey. Hi. Hey. Yeah, okay. I feel like I'm a teacher at the front of the class when I do that. <laughs> uh, no, that's a terrible thing to do. Okay, so... The first person I'm going to throw to today, uh, Mia, Mia Fisi from Siren here. Now, Mia, you were recently recognised as the um, uh, Good Design uh, Woman in Design of uh, Woman in Design of the Year. What's the correct title? Help me out. Yeah, yeah, I got an award for being a woman. Um. <laughs> no, 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 I'm teasing. You got an award, and I know Brandon's design program. Oh, it's awards program, really. You got yeah. an award because you're an awesome female designer, and actually when we shine spotlights on things, that's when we say that we really value them. So I don't yeah. think you've got it because you're a woman, okay? I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Thank you. Yeah, no, so it was the Good Design Australia um, 2020 Women in Design Awards. So it was, it was pretty amazing, actually. It was a really nice sort of hit in a really tough time. And um, we've, we've, um, I've, I've sort of promised that we'll use the award for good know that we can do something really great with it so I think it was just the the history of Siren and the, you know 16 years of building this business so it was yeah it was great recognition. Well what, what I'm going to do is so that uh, people who are viewing this that they're getting a bit more context um, about 12 months ago Mia and I went and did a, a podcast I'll put a link into that so you get to hear the Siren backstory but yeah. Siren's grown a little bit during COVID you've also now announced that you're going to be opening up a New York office. Yeah we'll just um, laughing before that pre-COVID, the opportunity to to open up Sarah in New York was on the tables, but I just decided it was more important for me to stay this side of the world with my family with small children and just I made the decision that, you know, lifestyle was going to be more important than taking over the, having the opportunity rather than taking over the world. Um, and then because of COVID, it's okay for me to not be there and I'm not expected to be on a plane and be, in a, you know, across all the time zones. So it's a fantastic opportunity. And I think this time has allowed so that the, we've got the um, ex-VP of Callison from New York. Um, she's, she was heading up retail there, has, you know, decided that actually she Siren's a brand she can get behind and our mission and purpose is something that she wants to bring to New York. And, and she doesn't need me to be there to do it. We can do it, you know, by Zoom. So it's, it's incredible. So we launch next week, actually. Fantastic. Yeah. So you're launching next week in, yep. in New York. And, you know, that's really interesting. If you go look new, from all the people that I've got in New York, they're still working out how to be productive while they've got this horrific interruption to public health. But commercially, they're actually quite busy. So it's, a, it's actually a very interesting time. And also from talent that it's very interesting that there's 
there are a lot of people who, as part of their responsibility to their, their business, that they've had to go and lower staffing levels, and I think yeah. explore that a bit more. So there's talent around everywhere. So yeah. you, you guys are going to have a great time. Yeah, I think also, you know, we, we're, we're slightly more boutique than the brands that they've got at the moment. So, you know, maybe not at this side of the world, but to the US we'll seem more boutique and more hopefully be able to bring what we've got across. Awesome. And uh, and then what have you been finding has been the change in that new new possibility that, you know, if you reflect back on six months, what are some of the astounding things that you've found? I, d- I definitely think um, people are, are putting more emphasis on creative thinking. I think the, the, the way we're solving these problems that are coming up is, uh, has to be from a very creative place. And the opportunity to um, digitise design and, de- and democratise it is now, it's, it's open, the gates are open, the, the possibilities are endless. I think people are open to so many more ways of doing things. Um, I'm particularly excited about this idea of connection and um, I, I'd know personally when I was working from home, I was really only having conversations with people that I wanted to have conversations with. Where when I was in the office, you know, people would call me and they want to see me. And you, you, as a business owner, you do those things. But what I found, and I don't know if it's a personal thing, I was in my living room, I was in my home. So I felt like I was inviting them into my home and I was being very picky about the conversations I was having and who I was having them with. And I just thought, wow what if I just spend the rest of my life doing that and just being, you know, more choosy as if I'm inviting them into my home and just in terms of our values and our mission and, and as a business, like that's what we should be doing. You know, I think generally we kind of go, oh, there's an opportunity, there's an opportunity, like, like let's do it all, whereas I think we became a lot more yeah. um, refined. I know with, um, the, with the introduction of activity-based working, that it was found that there were people who would just stick in their neighbourhood and that, and that cross-pollination between different parts of the company was a problem. And I remember there was a, a fantastic office that Arup went and did in Melbourne uh, done by Hassel, and they made sure that everybody had to go to through a central area where the lockers were yeah. so that they had those casual collisions. And uh, in a previous town hall, we had uh, Harry West, the former CEO at Frog, and he was talking about inducting the freshmen into Columbia and how they talked about the idea that the issues now was how do we actually manage those mid-friends, not the close friends, and because it's the mid-friends where you go and actually get that, um, say, cultural reference of something that is new, something that you want to accept, something that you want to reject, and so I suppose it, it's really good that you're finding that you're getting that more immersive connection, but it's also we need to be careful that we're not in an echo chamber. And so yeah. how, how do you go manage both, isn't it? Yeah, I, do, I think it was. it's also um, relying a bit more on your intuition. I think there's le- there's less no- there was less noise for a while, even though it seemed sort of maybe more noise, but you, you, the environment changed. So you, if I had a connection with someone, it wasn't because I'd maybe met with them 10 times or had 10 conversations. I was like, actually really like that person. And it was very clear for me that I had a connection with that person because I was away in my home and I thought, actually, I don't mind talking to them. Whereas I think when you're coming in all the time and there's 10,000 people around, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but 10 people, am I making sense? (laughs) But I I was just very, there was a lot of crystal kind of like, oh yeah, no problem. We'll we'll have a chat. I'll do a Zoom. You know, were you all inundated on people just wanting to have a chat? And how do you pick? How do you pick? Because your kind of day was kind of free for a while there. 
Yeah. And, it, and it was interesting when I did the first round of the design executive town halls, the availability that I had was phenomenal. You know, I think there was there was one of them where I was looking at it and it was in New York and I had uh, uh, Mario Puccini was in there, Matteo Bologna, Debbie Millman, Harry West. Um, I also had Yves Baha. You know, it was like... It was like I had the, the best call in the world. And I'm going, what? And then but as we've gone along, people's availability has decreased. Yeah. Um, to, to let the viewers know there's actually five people this morning who have said they couldn't do this call because of something urgent that has come up that they need to go deal with. So so we've, our modality has changed dramatically there. So, so I want to go across to you because uh, the team at Tiger Spike, you've actually found that although you had a distributed team in the past, that there was often um, it, there was a siloed culture where it was easy to work with the person on the desk, desk next to you rather than in the distributed offices. But I think uh, the new possibility for you guys has been that you've worked out how to go make that truly we're a multi-office, a multi-region organisation. What do you think the new possibility beyond that is? Well, one of the things that we're seeing is also um, the way that we're engaging with clients is we're starting to include a lot of our other offices as part of our approach um, and, and starting to have, you know, a multi-office approach to a single client that is even based here in Australia because they they serve customers outside of the country. And, uh, and so to have a, a kind of unified experience, a universal experience is really important. And, and I guess that, you know, brings us to develop um, not only our practice, but also a culture around universal design and how we're designing for multiple communities and how we're creating, you know, experiences that that consider that personal connection, you know, as the dependency on, on digital services increases with people being at home, um, you know, we need to be able to, to kind of maintain that standard. So we're definitely seeing a new possibility um, specifically in the in the um, private sector around making services more personable, making them more humane. And I think by us having a distributed workforce, we are able to introduce more diversity and more access to different perspectives and communities that will just enrich the experience overall. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting when you when we think of universal design, which in the pre-COVID period was normally sponsored by very large corporations or by government authorities. But what we're finding is that universal, when it comes to a government approach, actually isn't universal. It's very much uh, politically centred. And, you know, be, if I go think of what somebody like a McDonald's or a Starbucks or a PepsiCo is able to go do as far as having global influence from universal design and policy, they seem to get the idea of universal design, multi-jurisdictional, something that allows our commerce to flow back and forth. Because at the moment, that universal design is, say, in Australia, stuck in the state of Victoria, the state of New South Wales, the state of South Australia. We can't even move around the country using a universal design principle yet. So it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves so it actually is universal design, not um, a particular jurisdictional universal design. I think that's a barrier that we need to break through. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing, you know, we've been focusing on, you know, um, is is universal design complete? And something that we've been introducing is the idea of trauma-informed or crisis-informed design principles around this. Because, you know, we, at, globally, we are or have experienced trauma by going through this, through this pandemic and through um, uh, being forced into a new way of living. 
And that means that we respond differently to the to what was done previously. And so how are we building mechanisms to understand what the what the, what tomorrow looks like and how are we catering for that in the way that we're designing businesses, um, in the way that we're designing teams, in the way that we are provisioning services? I was on a call um, earlier this morning with uh, Prima Careers and they were looking at uh, corporate psychology. And they brought up one of the most important things is the acknowledgement and then exploring the possibility. And I think that's what, what we've seen that's happened. We, we all have been through a certain amount of trauma. Um, I think that um, uh, that um, Mayor and, uh, and Julie, you'd been speaking about, you know, various sorts of trauma, how you've gone through stages. We've been through the Rona caster through uh, in my office um, several times. Um, uh, the first time I think we wanted to kill each other by about the second or third time we've worked out, oh, one of us is down and the other one's up and we've kind of worked out a mode to get through that. But, you know, the really important thing is that we actually work out how to go and deal with that trauma moment. And there's a lot more people who have been traumatised. And in a previous town hall, and sorry if I keep going back to the previous town halls, but that's what we're here to go talk about, we, we explored the idea that what people are experiencing is like in a glacier where there's a fissure and that fissure is in Maslow's hierarchy. So they're going through their life and they know what level they're up to, but all of a sudden this COVID thing has actually put this fissure with it, takes them down two, maybe three levels on, on Maslow's hierarchy and our heads just aren't built to deal with that dynamic range. And that's what I think that we've been learning to go cope with, how to do that better. Dylan, I want to go across to you because you've, you've had a very interesting journey with the practice. You've seen that some of the ways that you're working with your clients on projects in throughout Asia have actually sped up because there's fewer tea ceremonies that you're waiting around to go actually get the cadence of projects going. But you've also got... Sorry? And fewer flights and hotels and transfers. Yep. But you've also got the fact that you've got a productive team working remotely and you're, and at some point, you know they're all going to come back to the back to the office, and you've got to refactor that whole office. Tell us about your exploration there. So, um, look, it's it, you know we've we've worked out that actually we work in certain ways a hell of a lot better apart than we do together. Um, talking to this democratization of design. We've never had a more egalitarian approach to the way we work, the way we're able to interact. Uh, I can bring six people to a meeting with a client and it doesn't matter because they're all just digital and they're all in the background and they get to experience that interaction and I save time not only in not flying there, not getting a taxi, not getting a hotel, not going to the meeting, but actually I save time because when I come out of the meeting, everybody's already been in it. Um, I found that the way that we communicate is incredibly purposeful um, and to me is point, you know, like who am I going to invite into my room? Um, what, what for? We were really worried at the beginning and we've maintained an extraordinary commitment to culture, which is about me spending a lot of time making sure that I'm <clears throat> activating connections between people and keeping us together as a team every morning, every afternoon and then all of the way through the day that we send out care packs to make sure that people know that they're looked after and that has paid massive dividends 
to us because we have a team who can't wait to see each other. I mean, literally, when we do see each other, I've said the first time we all get in the office, it's just going to be a party. And what I've realised is that's also the problem because we're all going to get back into the office and we've got so used to purposeful communication where if I was in the open floor plan here and I wanted to have a one-on-one conversation with somebody or they wanted to have a one-on-one conversation with somebody else that they didn't want everybody to be party to, they'd have to make up all this fluff around the outside of how they actually got that conversation to happen. Whereas now people can communicate with me. They would normally sort of look over and say, oh, is he busy? Is he busy? Is he busy? Right now they can send me a message and they know that I'll get it and they know that I'll get back to them as soon as I'm ready to. And we can do it in such a focused way. So we have actually been, I hate to say it, we've been performing better apart than we do together. Now, for all the osmotic learning that you miss out on, there is so much purposeful learning that people are exposed to. I had thought we were going to really miss out on stuff. Actually, it's been much, much bigger, much more concerted. People are becoming better, faster, smarter at the things that they do. They know when to ask questions. They know where to ask questions. They know who to ask them to in a way that's incredibly smart. So my challenge now is, Jesus, how do I I tell everybody to stay at home? Because I want to hug everybody like everybody else does. But the first three days in the office is going to be like, yabby, 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 yabby. And then everyone's going to turn around, sit down, start trying to do work and realise that they have to tell everybody to shut up, put headphones on so that they can connect to each other through their screen because drawing on the screen with everyone in the virtual space of that is is the most productive way to do our work in design and architecture and drawings and and, and using software. If we all tried to gather around somebody's screen to have the same meeting, it'd be useless. It just wouldn't work. So my office has got to change completely. The possible for me is how do we get a really big kitchen, a big making space? The library has never been more important to my team. I've realised that no one has access to all of our books. So I've digitised photographs of the library and put the Excel list up and said to everybody, hey, if there's a book here you want, I'll drop it off and you can get it and you can read it and you can look at it and we've got we've converted all of our magazine subscriptions to digital and we've got everybody so they can go online and keep their, keep their eye in on that stuff without relying on seeing the magazine and the lunch table. So I think the possible for me is that we are much more purposeful about how and why we gather so that we gather with with intent and we communicate with purpose. And it, and I have to agree with Mia, it's much, much, much more about connections now and the ability to connect deeply and instantly and privately and still broadly in a way that I just don't think you would ever get in the flotsam and jetsam of an average day. We've never said hello or goodbye to one another in a more comprehensive way than when we haven't been together. Because normally when someone leaves at 5.35 or 5.45 or 6, it's like, see ya. And now it's like we're all together and we all talk about our day and we talk about our night and we have fun and then we see each other in the morning. Remarkable. So, Richard, I want to throw across to you because, you know, your, your phenomenal career with the types of brands that you've been involved in has you in boardrooms probably more than any of us have been in. But those boardrooms probably are less 
in real life and more having those conversations connected to people now through uh, through something like Zoom or Microsoft Teams. That doesn't change the nature of what people are trying to achieve, does it? What they're after and what they're trying to actually talk to you about and where they want to go see their business go, that stays the same. It's actually the, just the vehicle or the carrier that you're doing it by. Oh, yes, Mark. I mean, I'm just picking up on what uh, Dylan was talking about and I, I love the way Dylan sees his business as a sort of a corroboree of around a campfire, I think it's great. But I think what he also uh, alluded to was leadership. And I think that's something I've personally found. I mean, I've got a small studio and, you know, as a designer by heart, you can't help but want to be in the cooking stages of looking at the recipes and how the drawings are going and you sort of hover and get distracted, part of the process. But with the um, remote situation, I think leadership has become much more important and you've got to really define who your business is and what your business is about and your vision and your mission uh, is becoming much so clear because you need to connect that with, with, with your people out there's brand. I mean, the thing that's, that, that connects both the virtual world and the physical world is brand. Okay, so that's, that's, that, that's a universal linkage. And whether it's a, an internal brand between your own people and culture and getting things done or it's a brand talking to a customer out of the marketplace, brand is that, is that singular link. Uh, my experience at the moment working through in, as you say, at the leadership level, and we talked about this before, of, of management, I'm much more interested in how creativity can inform management's headspace and, and the C-suite and the CEOs and the chairman of boards uh, to actually define, redefine themselves or evolve from where they are to where they need to go. And if we looked at an analogy of this, we could use the idea of the cocoon principle. If we're in the, we're in the cocoon now, in a sense of darkness, we're looking for a new way out, a new pathway forward, and we, we could be, regard ourselves as a bit of a caterpillar moving from, say, crisis uh, into uncertainty, then there's some hope and the light, and then there's a reorganisation, understanding, and we move out of the cocoon into beyond. And when you move out of beyond, you become a butterfly. But the thing about the butterfly is the DNA in the butterfly is exactly the same DNA as, it, as in the caterpillar. So actually what you have to do is to reorganise yourselves as the business moves forward. I find that fascinating sort of conundrum of thinking and creativity and imagination, talking to, talking to people in the, in the, in the C-suites, they're much more open to this now because they know it has to be a new way. Mm. Imagination and creativity is the only pathway. It's not about revenue. It's not about, uh, you know, sales and things. It's actually about a new direction. And I think listening to the designers on the, on the table here, they are going through that process themselves, their own businesses, but the, the most important thing is how can design and creativity influence the decision makers? That's, that's my sort of uh, patch, if you like. Yeah, and so, Monty, I want to throw across to you because um, in your world of doing mega graphics on buildings, building wraps, I'd imagine there's a propensity for people to get you in almost, can you put lipstick on this pig? You know, it's towards the end of the cycle that they're bringing you in. They're not bringing you in at the beginning of the cycle. And and Richard and Dylan and Mia and Julie and Salsa and myself have all spoken before about when do you get on the bus? Are you at that early planning stage or do you come in right at the end? We all know it's a disaster at the end. How, how's it work for you? If you've got buildings and I know that you've got a, a project coming up in Melbourne that's been delayed, have they, did they bring you in at the early stage of the planning for that building wrap or have they brought you in just at the end? 
I get brought in at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and, and probably the reason being is there's, well, I'm probably one of two people that do it in the country um, to a level where now from an engineering and, and public safety that my system needs to be vetted, checked. They trust me. I get involved with the, you know, what Dylan was saying before. I'm better part of scaffolder. I know the council SEPs, DCPs. I know what they need to hear. I know the design policy. So whilst I probably don't get really deeply involved at the beginning, more so at the end, because that's when I'm on site, that's when I'm, I'm doing what I've got to do. But I've spent 12, 14 years trying to get in at the beginning. And now I'm fortunate enough to have, have developed my systems that are actually being used to implement for anyone else who wants to do it. So it's, it's a little bit of both. It's taken me a long time to get where I am. And now we're definitely pioneering that, that space, which is, is a dream. And, and it's so important that people are getting in at the right phase of a project. Um, I, I know that when you come in late that you're actually trying to play catch-up all the time. There's always those executional compromises that are coming in there. You get right up the front, you can actually make sure you're avoiding a lot of those and the graceful elegance that you can go deliver is, is just so much better. Julie, I want to throw across to you because there's a story here that you've got which is we know your expertise in aged care and, and the healthcare sector and we know that in the next five years that the, say, the level of amenity and the repurposing both front of house and back of house in aged care is going to go through the roof. But you've had, you mentioned in the pre-conversation, you've had one of the toughest fortnights that you've had in your business because you've had to let a couple of team members go right when you know there's going to be an upturn in the market. So you've got this possibility of saying, well, we know this is going to grow, but then you've also got the reality of can you hold the team together between now and when those contracts fall? That That's very difficult to reimagine your business that way. Yeah, and, and it has... And like I said in our pre-conversation, you know, my optimism is still relatively high. My stress level's a lot higher than it probably was early in COVID days, only because it's not nice to let people go. They're actually good talent, you know. Like it's um, if if they misbehave, that's a different story. But um, but it, saying goodbye to good talent's really hard during this time, and and you you're letting them loose in a in a market where it's it's pretty flat out there in the job market. So it's really hard. And, but, you know, there's a commercial judgment that, that needs to come into it, which, which outweighed everything else, unfortunately. Um, having said this though, you know, and uh, sorry, and the reason why that happened is um, in the sector where we're a niche with, it's, it's paused, you know, we just had a, uh, the new budget overnight. Um, the Royal Aged Care Commission reports will come out next February. So I think everyone is just hanging tight for all of that. But in the meantime, we, we've been looking at, at extra services, the extra service offerings that we can do that we've never done before, only because we were too busy doing the stuff we were really, really good at. Um, so, you know, a few months ago, I did pull the team together and I said, okay, what are the things we can do, but we haven't done, but we should do, and let's be really good at it. And so they're the things we've been developing. And, and similarly to what Dylan and me has been saying and everyone else has been saying is that there's been a bit more time to harness new skills. Um, don't get me wrong, we've been super busy the last few months, but, you know, 
the bell curve is when we finish a project, which we finished three in this COVID time, believe it or not, um, there becomes that lull where um, where we've been able to develop new skills. Um, and we've relied on our relationships to learn from and, and deal with things that we've never had to, we've never had time to deal with. So it's, it's actually been a, a very positive um, moment, but it has had its hard moments as well. But, you know, I, I remain optimistic. I mean, like we've kept have kept saying in the last six months, relationships have always been important and they're more important now than ever. And similarly to me, I don't really welcome many people into my close-knit world um, and I'm still sort of the same. <laughs> and, um, but, but, um, but relationships are really important, you know, just leaning on people like yourselves for um, the ability to look outside the square. Yeah, and and it's and, and it's so important to have a network that you can actually get influences from, and that you can under, understand and calibrate. Earlier this morning, I was speaking to a designer in New York, and it ha- happens to be his birthday, hence giving him the call, reaching out and giving a bit of love. But we were reflecting on the very first USA market town hall that we did. He was there, and he was being really honest about just how down he was and you had you know his peers were on the call who were all saying but you're one of the best graphic designers and typographers in the world how could you not be actually busy and then about two-thirds of the way through the call I see him pick up his phone and he starts to punch the air and he said we've just been awarded the job which actually secures us for six to nine months worth of work and 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 you saw every part of his physical demeanour changed. And then I, so I've spoken now and, you know, we're five months down the track from that and you can hear that there is such a different person there. And it's, it's interesting. We all go through those stressful periods. When you're beyond it and you've got that thriving side, it's great. But that's also where the new jobs come and that's also where new vitality is in the market. That's that, that new possible. And I think it's important that we're able to go and support each other both when it's actually that difficult moment as well as supporting when it's actually thriving and then saying, well, how do we make it more efficient? Because, you know, the first thing is that you've got to go survive a bad circumstance. The next one is that you just actually make sure that you're paying your commitments and that you've got that. And the third one is that you're actually getting really good extraction out of the business and it's been worth your while for all that effort and toil that you put in there. So, you know, I think that's really important that we hang in there and that we actually, we're proud if we're actually got past the paying our commitments and we're thriving because there's there's going to be a bit of survivor guilt in this. And I think, uh, Dylan, you reflected on the fact that it was almost like, yeah, we're, it's there's almost a, a bit of survivor guilt in the way that you're referring to some of your stuff there. It's fantastic that there are people who are doing well and we need to flag to the talent that's in the market that we will be hiring in the future, that we will be expanding because hope is such an important thing. You know, first thing we want to do is address the dilemma. The next one is we've got to imagine what that possible is and that's part of where the leadership comes in. We're shining that. Can I just say something about that, uh, Mark, if you may? Yeah, sure. I think in a personal sense... You know, out of chaos and confrontation, actually that does bring the best out of you because you have to peel back the onion to look at the core of what you are and everyone comes onto this earth with a purpose. It's like your fingerprint. Everything is individual. And this, this, this is about the old adage of the glass half full or glass half empty. You need to, sometimes you have to empty the glass to be able to actually look at something and bring something new into it. I think that's, a, and that's the positive thing that designers and create, creators have with them, that we are always... 
uh, got the tyranny of the white page. How do you start? Where do you go? So I think this is always this is all very this is whilst it's hard, it's also good because it actually brings you back to who you are and what you're about, and you can you can reinvent yourself, which is really what creativity is all about. So I always think that um, confrontation is uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. There. No, that and and so there's confrontation which is actually um, bullying confrontation, and there's confrontation which is uplifting con- confrontation. You know, if you get people who do the "I'm trying to win against you" rather than "I'm trying to add to what you're saying," you know that that's the important thing is how do we actually do this in a respectful, additive way that actually lifts each other up. What I do want to do, because I, I, viewers, we're going to actually continue this conversation as a group after we finish the recording here, but I just want to check, does anybody actually have a, a point that you want to go bring in before I wrap this up here? Anybody who wants to add something that we that we need to go talk about? Yeah, love to. I've, 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 got, a, I've got a sense that all of this change, uh, I work with three horizons in our business and we try and get our team to work to three horizons. The furthest one away is legacy. That's what you want to leave behind. The middle horizon is inspiration. Why do you do what you do? The, the close horizon is sustenance. What do you do in a daily basis to keep you fed and busy and connected and, and, and those things? At the moment, what's happened for us is... Um, there's been no shift for me personally in legacy as a, as, a, as, a, as a horizon. My inspiration has moved slightly to try to do more that changes the way that we experience our first horizon globally in the sense of sustenance. How do people take from what's given and what's presented the best thing? How do you do the best with what you've got? Um, so for us, it's really about how do we change the way we sustain our business in order to maintain the inspiration and the eventual legacy. Awesome. Yeah, and that reminds me of um, something that we've been working on around places for purpose, so within the interiors thing, and we've been looking at um, Ikigai. Have you guys heard of the Japanese Ikigai? So when you're trying to find your own purpose. Paid for. Yeah, what you love, what you pay for, um, what the world will pay for. (laughs) So what the world will pay you for, what you love. I can't remember all three of them, but we've been trans lading them to place because I think when we come out of this places we really need to create places with heart and everything has to have a purpose and it all has to be connected and how do we take this ikigai for yourself and apply it to our planet our cities our places our places for connection so I've I've, the the time in corona has been really wonderful to start thinking about these um concepts and Richard when you said the tyranny of the white page I've just written that down that is fantastic I love it and I feel that we and I'm sure all of you have got much better I've come up with more ideas in the past five months than ever before I kind of wake up I've got another idea (laughs) it's just and it's been quite interesting because there's only you know there's only us here do you want to share some of those ideas or yeah yeah I mean I haven't had one yesterday or the day before I was in the car with my husband and they're coming the more you do it the more it comes right so I was like oh well it's a bank holiday and he's like it's not a bank holiday I said it is a bank well in England I know it's Labor Day but in England everything's a bank holiday and then I was in the car and I'm like why is it why in England was it called the bank holiday and I was like oh but so even if it's not a bank holiday it's always a bank holiday because the banks in society and our community have been the pillar of our social network, our community. So what is going to happen 
when retail, I mean, we've been talking about the future of banking for so long. You know, when, when they have, basically it's going to be an ATM and it's going to be a Zoom link. You know what I mean? Like they, it does not make sense for them to have this. So what are we going to do with those spaces? How, so then I started, started thinking, well, the banks are going to withdraw their street presence at some point. We knew this anyway. It's going to happen faster because of COVID. So they have a responsibility in my eyes to do that social community piece and how are they going to do it? Is it going to be, is it, you know, soccer, whatever, and it's not enough. And then I spoke to a guy at CBA yesterday going, I've got this, I'm worried about it. And he said, me, the young people today, they don't have bank accounts. They do PayPal, they do Zip, they do Afterpay. I said, okay, so you need to get to all the parents and say to them, we're going to use our spaces to get big and start doing accounts. So it's just, I'm just, Mark, here's one example of just thinking about stuff creatively. And I think that's a really interesting thing about the, de- the deconstruction phase that we're in, mm. particularly if we go think about retail. So we need to deconstruct what retail is as well. Mm. Banking was always about financial instruments, but our relationship with them was actually about cash accounts and it was about notes. Well, the notes are gone, the cash accounts are gone, they should be about financial instruments. And... None, none of the banks that I've had any engagement with have actually said, Mark, you've got a business, maybe you need some financial instruments. It's always about these account products. And so what they got lost in was they didn't, they didn't express their meaning and utility to me. What they did was they sold me a product feature. And therefore, that brand is really bad. You know, Richard, going back to you, if if it's having a relationship with your bank is actually about financial instruments that allow you to accelerate your business... I'm with them. But when it's always about account fees, I'm not with them. And so they, they kind of broke it because they, they found this really rich, uh, you know, stream of extraction as account fees and they forgot to tell us that they were our friends from financial instruments because they're extracting so much money elsewhere. So, so you go, that's very interesting to see how they're going to go fix that up. That sort of deconstruction is going to happen everywhere. Where it has to happen in retail because people will still want to go back and have in-store experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I was speaking with um, uh, Bob Neville from um, who has uh, set up the design uh, test centre. Previously, he was with Adidas, with New Balance, uh, with Pure. And it's fascinating to see the projects that he's working on in Asia, which are actually all about in real life retail visitation experiences, not necessarily transactional experiences. And you go, is the shopping mall going to be actually the entertainment centre of the future, not the not the transactional centre of the future? And so they're reinterpreting. Banks need to do the same. Health services need to do the same. And I think, Mark, where this has all come from, it came from something that I thought of um, and I, I, it came to me, and I don't maybe not be the first person to think of it, but in terms of the triple bottom line, um, economic environment and social and it's sort of the three right and, and in real life they're kind of economics always sort of come first money sort of the first thing businesses think of you know a bit of environment a bit of social and I just have completely changed my thinking to going it has to be social first it has to be community first and we have to get what Richard was saying about creativity on boards we have to get more creativity on boards and we if we as a, as a nation or a of the society if people can start thinking about our people first which I think in studios you generally do because without culture you know it completely affects your bottom line but I don't think in the big businesses and particularly the pillars of society like the banks post offices everything everything like that that have been 
the pillars of our, our society to this point, really, uh, they somehow someone up there, Richard, <laughs> has to get them thinking really with, with those values and that mission around social and community first, and then the money will follow. And then yeah. maybe we'll have some money to fix the environment. Well, you know? Picking up on that, Mira, you know, the World Economic Forum has said that creativity and emotional experience is number, in the number three of the top skills that everyone has to have nowadays. Yeah. And I add to the triple bottom line of saying it's about person, personable, it's emotional connections, uh, it's the mm. human, human aspect of it. Social is a big part of community, but we need to think about the individual. Of course, this is, this is really like a first world problem. I mean, there are plenty of people that are in the world, billions of people who are just, just trying to exist. Starving. So I mean, that's, but look, how can you get people to care about the environment if they're hungry? You know, that, that's exactly the point. And so, Mayor, we, over the last uh, six months, I've spent quite a bit of time with the teams at McKinsey and Frog and um, at Priestman Good and a bunch of other. We're very privileged, but we've been doing a discussion which is actually about a better future framework. And the problem with the with the triple bottom line is that it uses the word social, and in certain parts of the world, social goes next to socialism, which then gets right. triggered. And, okay, right. So, yeah. so we know that there. So, so we said, well, isn't it really about social equity and it's about the a sustainable environment and a thriving economy? So you've got economy, equity mm-hmm. and environment, those three E's that come together. It, it's basically the same thing, but it kind of gets rid of Love the it. word that actually triggers people because... You're right. If somebody actually doesn't have a capacity to feed themselves, they well, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They re- yeah, they really yeah. don't care about uh, about what the future of their children's going to be because they're actually worried about their own future today. I think I think you have to take on more than three lines there. And Kate Raworth's donut economics is much more sophisticated yeah. than that with the sustainable development goals. And the missing sustainable development goal, goal which is, which should be um, no violence, because they've got a bunch of them that are all about like war or safety, but actually violence is one that doesn't exist and it should be there because it cuts through every economic quarter of and racial quarter of the world. Um, if you can blend SDGs and the donut economics, then you've gone way beyond triple bottom line. Tri- triple bottom line becomes like talking about a green star score when you know yeah. that reducing the energy in your building is like one filament of sustainability. So I think that we need to be able to think broader. Um, but, do you, but do you think these big institutions can go from there to there without? The problem at the moment is that banks are seen as pillagers, not pillars. And that there's a... Right, it's such a shame. It's such an opportunity though, isn't it? Well, I, I try and look at the world through this particular lens when I'm trying to imagine the future. I, and it's very useful to look at old, photographs of old cities. If you go and look at photographs from the olden days, olden days, and look at everything that's no longer there, like what's, what's in the picture that's no longer needed, and then look with that lens at today. What do you see when you look out there that you think is perfectly normal and you don't even see it anymore because it's so normal? So classic example, telephone booths. 
Where did they go? Oh, do you know what they are now? The biggest advertising boards in the world and all the councils are going, how can you put that there? And there's this archaic rule from 1812 that says the telecom company is allowed to put a telephone booth in the middle of the road without a permit and that telephone booth is a giant fucking advertising billboard, right? Because no one needs a mobile. No one, no one's got 20 cents to put into the machine to make a, like, it doesn't matter anymore, right? So... <laughs> So what are the things that exist today that, that we think are normal that are going to disappear? Car parks. Car parks, right? <laughs> 3.5-metre wide car road lanes and left turn lanes will be irrelevant. Traffic lights, irrelevant. Gone. Why do you need them? Because cars will drive themselves smoothly, continuously. They'll do that without us needing them. So what are we going to do with all of that leftover stuff? How do we think about making a better place for people, but that's better for the biodiversity of the nation. There's an insect Armageddon going on. You know, when you talk about everybody starving, I'm reading a wonderful book at the moment called Factfulness, which is written by Hans Rosling, who is just a genius now departed Swedish statistician who swallows swords. And (laughs) his book his book is about the fact, and you should read it if you, if because I heard you say, Mia, oh yeah, everyone's starving. Why? Well, because I was just reading about Yemen, and it feels like everyone's starving, right? So read that book because actually, over the last ten years, I know, I know. The, the 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 human environment has been radically shifted, mm-hmm. but the natural environment has been decimated, mm-hmm. absolutely decimated, and so. When you say social comes first, I think environmental comes first. Hungry people focus on the environment because the environment is where our food comes from. And ultimately, most people don't buy their food, they grow it. And so how do we help people grow better? How do we make that part of our DNA? Dylan, you know what? I'm going to leave this town hall on that sentiment there. How do we help people grow better? What an what a amazing new possible that's, that's out there. I, everybody, thank you so much for your time. I know we, we, we could go on for hours. We probably will after we stop recording. And um, I, we'll be back in a month's time in Australia, but uh, there's every week there's another town hall from uh, either from Asia, the UK or the USA. Thank you so much for your time viewing and thank you, panellists. Thanks, Mark. Nice to meet you all. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Dylan.